0: This evening, um, we have our Revelation Bible study we're going to continue with. We're going to be in the second half of Revelation chapter 14. We're going to pick back up where we left off in verse 12 and finish the chapter out to verse 20 or so. So we're excited for that. Um, it's been a blast, and we're looking forward to that this evening. It'll be 6 p.m. next door. Um, so want will get to the Word I'm not sure how this will all come out, or maybe even how you will receive this this morning. Maybe you won't receive it, but I'm still going to, I always got to preach what's in my heart. Um, if you know me at all, I seek the Lord, and whatever thought He puts in my heart, it's going to come out, good, bad, or ugly. So that's what I'm going to do this morning. Um so you know I'm a little bit of a reader, and I'm not here to talk about myself, just beg your pardon, this is an introduction, but I'm a little bit of a reader. Um, I I like to read the Bible, you know, obviously, and that's part of my job, but I would read the Bible before I was a preacher, so I love the Bible, and I I love these sacred scriptures. To me, it's the, the infallible truth, the Word of God that is everlasting, does not change, doesn't matter the age or day or time, it's the Word of God. And my Bible is the, 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 my favorite book of all time. Hands down, bar none, it's the Bible. It's my favorite book. But it's also good for us to read Christian literature. Um, there are some awesome, awesome men and women of God that have gone on before us. And they wrote things that can help to broaden our understanding of God can help to broaden our understanding of Scripture, can help to broaden our theology, help to broaden our perspective, to broaden our doctrine. And, and I like to read things like that also because when you can tap into the mind of some of these awesome men and women of God, and I've read some awesome books, um, Cory ten Boom and all those awesome authors that did these great and tremendous things, you can really... Increase your perspective and your understanding of the Scriptures. I just read, someone, someone gave me a few weeks ago a, a little book about the Holy Spirit by a, an old-time preacher that's long gone. His name is Pastor A.W. Tozer. I think he had a church in Chicago. And just this little book on the Holy Spirit and just fantastic. And I love getting my hands on some of the old-time stuff. And just fantastic stuff. But I, I tell you all this stuff about books and reading because I, I've been reading this book recently, and I don't know if I've mentioned this the last few weeks or so, but I've been reading this book that's, I don't know, I guess I could say it's really been bothering me, this book that I've been reading lately. Now, many of you might have, have heard of this book, or many of you may be familiar with it. I know there's several of you that have always already read this book. But there's a book called The Fox's Book of Martyrs. Yeah, anyone ever heard of the book called The Fox's Book of Martyrs? Many of you are familiar with it. Uh, been around for a long time. Um, It it is a book that records the tragedy of persecution of Christians uh, throughout the ages. Uh, And some of the stories in it are fantastic. Almost to the point where it's unbelievable the things that some of these Christians went through. Um, it, It records the courage and the faith of all the Christian martyrs. And it pretty much starts out with the disciples of Jesus. And whether you know this or not, they, they killed all the disciples. Did you know that? They killed them all, with the exception of John, is the only one that, that wrote Revelations and the books, the epistles of John. He's the only one they didn't kill, but they tried to kill him and it just didn't work. So he ended up getting banished to an island. But they killed all of them. And the killings didn't stop there. And this book records it from the disciples, then it moves to the apostles, then it moves to the early church bishops, they called them. Early church leaders were kind of called the the bishops of the Christian churches. And then it moves from the, the bishops through the dark ages all the way up to, if you remember a few weeks ago, a month ago or so, I talked about the reformers. And it records all of the persecution that have been poured out upon the true Christians on this earth. And this book has just been... I don't know, it's just been uh, just such a, a weight upon me, it's, it's, it's been bothering me, it's been bothering me, and, and I'll, I'll explain why, but a man named John Fox wrote the book, um, he was alive in the 16th century, uh, he is considered one of the reformers, if you remember a month or two ago when I preached about the reformers, I, I briefly mentioned John Fox, didn't talk about him too much. Um, but he's one of the reformers, very, very highly educated man. Um, he actually mastered, listen to this now, mastered of himself, he mastered Hebrew. So, what's that tell you about this individual? He mastered the language of Hebrew so that he could read the, the Old Testament in its original text. And, and John Fox became so convinced and convicted of the Gospels that he began to write this book, and it was his life work. Okay, and he spent 11 years of his life writing this book, and his his studies were so laborious, he labored over this book, so much so that he neglected his health, he neglected his nutrition, he neglected all forms of recreation, he neglected all that stuff because he labored so intensively over this book that I'm reading, that we have now, and that he became so emaciated and so... uh, malnutrition that the friends his friends and his family that would see him every now and again because rarely he would even make an appearance he would just search all over and scour for journals for documentations for newspaper clippings as he would put his book together and he worked so hard and so rigorously that when people saw him that knew him he was nearly unrecognizable because he wrote this book and he poured everything into this book now don't worry, I'm not going to preach to you the book of martyrs this morning. We preach out of the word of God always, but just allow me to continue, please. So he finished his work, and he was so emaciated and exhausted that shortly thereafter he did die. And I, I've been reading this book, and you know I'm going to be honest with you, it's kind of making me feel ashamed of myself. Making me feel ashamed. You know, you, you might ask, Ashamed of what? What are you ashamed of? You know, when I, when I see the faith that the Christian martyrs had, the unwavering, the uncompromising faith that they had, the things that they went through, yet they were so resolute, and I look at them and I read what happened to them, and I read, read what they went through, and then I examine myself, I get a little ashamed of the weakness, flimsy faith that I have when I read these accounts of the things they went through and then I look at me and I get into a bad mood if if the temperature's not the way that I think it should be or if God doesn't give me everything I want and I'm all upset and all, I'm all angry and then I read back at this book of history and I see the unbelievable things that the martyrs went through and I look at myself and I, I feel a little ashamed you know that They had everything. The martyrs, all through the dark ages, the the apostles, the disciples, they had everything taken from them. Their fortune, their families, their homes, everything was taken from them, yet they loved Christ all the more. And then I look at us, and I look at myself, and I look at modern Christianity, we have everything given to us, and we love Christ all the less. And it makes me feel a little ashamed of myself. You see, there's what I call modern Christianity. That, that's kind of what we have today. And then there's original, authentic, biblical Christianity that they had. And I see it. Now, there's similarities between the two. They're very similar. All of the related jargon is the same. There's lots of the same buzzwords that they use that we use. Lots of similarities. They believed in Jesus. We believe in Jesus. They believe in God. We believe in God. We believe in the scriptures. They believed in the scriptures. Yet there is a vast difference in what they believe and what we have. Why is it that what they had is vastly different than what we have today? Now maybe you're thinking, what difference? What do you mean? What's the big difference? They're Christians. We're Christians. We're the same. Well, I brought a few excerpts this morning that I'd like to read to you. And as I read these excerpts, I think that of your own, you will see the difference between what they had and what we have today. Between the old time gospel and the new age Christianity that we have. Okay, this is an account of a man named Lord Henry Otto. Okay, they were getting ready to decapitate this man because he was what they called back in those days of the reformed religion. And what that means is he started looking at the Bible for himself, because if you remember, the Bible was kept from the masses. Well, this man got the scriptures for himself, began to read them, and he would say, hey, wait a minute, church, you're not preaching these real gospels. You're not preaching what the Bible says. So he read the Bible for himself. He became convinced of it. And that's how they labeled you a heretic back then. He was labeled a heretic of the reformed religion, which means he was an actual real Christian. So this is Lord Henry Otto. And listen to this. And I pray that this stuff pierces your heart like it does mine. Lord Henry Otto was a born-again Christian. He was silent, and this is, I quote, He was silent and having walked about a while, recovered his fortitude, and growing calm, said to a gentleman, for a few minutes I was discomposed, but now I feel my spirits revive. God be praised. Death no longer appears as the king of terrors, but seems to invite me to participate in some unknown joys. Then kneeling before the block, he said, Almighty God, to thee I commend my soul. Receive it for the sake of Christ and admit it to the glory of thy presence. And he was killed right after that. Listen to another account of a man named Viscount Winsellus. Listen, another man they were getting ready to execute. He was up on the block. They were going to execute him. And it says this This venerable nobleman had attained the age of 70 and was noted equally for his piety, learning, and hospitality. He was so little affected by the loss of worldly riches. That on his house being broken open, his property seized and his estate confiscated, he's only said with great composure, the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. He said, I am now full of years and wish to lay down my life that I may not be a witness to the evils which await my country. You have long thirsted for my blood. Take it, for God will be my avenger. He then approached the block, stroked his gray beard and hair and said venerable hares the greater honor now attends you a crown of martyrdom is your portion and then they killed him are you already starting to see the difference between modern christian lord you better give me the cadillac i prayed for or i'm out lord you better give me the husband or the wife that i've been asking for or i'm out lord if the pastor says anything to me that bothers me i'm out consider me gone Do you see the difference already? These people were saved. That was it. They were born again. Did not matter their circumstances. They held on to their beliefs. They refused to renounce Christ. They had resolve. They had some sort of fortitude that we lack today. And determination that I could barely even understand. Here's another account. I love reading these. I hope this doesn't bore you. I love this stuff. There's an account of a Lord Shillick, okay? And I read, it says this, Lord Shillick, a nobleman about the age of 50, on being told that he was to be quartered and his body parts scattered in different places, he smiled and said, the loss of a sepulcher is but a trifling consideration. A gentleman who stood by cried, courage, my Lord. He replied, I possess the favor of God, which is sufficient to inspire anyone with courage. The fear of death does not trouble me. I have faced him in the fields of battle to oppose Antichrist. After repeating a short prayer, he told the executioner he was ready, who cut off his right hand and head and then quartered him. Do you see the difference between them and us? Do you see the difference? As I read these accounts and it's full of accounts... Tens of thousands of people were slaughtered in this manner. Tens of thousands of them, completely unyielding, and I read them and then I examine myself and I become ashamed. Now, I do apologize for some of the graphic nature of some of these things that I'm reading to you this morning, but it's good for us. I want you to see the difference of what they had and then look at what we have. There is a big difference. We believe in all the same things they believe until the going gets tough. Oh, we believe in Jesus too until problems arise. See you later, I'm out. We believe in God too until He doesn't give us exactly what we want, then I'm out. If He doesn't give us the car or the job or the babe that we want, I'm out. Consider me out, I'm done. We believe in the Scriptures too until they say something that we don't like, until they convict us of the sin that we're participating in. Oh, that preacher, he better not talk about this, because if he talks about this, I'm gone. I love the church, too, until the pastor preaches something I don't like, until he starts talking about like self-denial or something like that. I I don't want to hear nothing about that. I love that church, too, until they start singing songs that just aren't my style. Eh, I'll see you later. Do you see what we have and what they have? There is a big difference. We hold to a Christianity that is disposable at the first sight of trouble. See you later. Wad that Bible up. Get rid of it. Nope. No thank you. While they had a Christianity that even if it cost them their lives, their fortunes, all their estates, they held to what they believed in. You know, the Bible tells us to hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. These people actually, these people literally believed in that. Hold fast to your faith. To us, it's a nice phrase. It's a nice saying, as long as everything's okay. They actually believed it. Even when they were thrown in the fire. Even when they were persecuted. Even when they had lands and possessions and gold taken, they still held on. I wonder if that's how we are today. What is it? What is it that they had that I feel I lack today? What is it that they had? How did they obtain a Christianity that even horrible torture couldn't break? How do you get that? How did they have that? I can't even understand it. You know, they would find early Christians all through the dark ages... They would find anyone of the Reformed religion. Remember, that means they were a born-again Bible-believing Christian. They would find anyone, and they would label them a heretic, and they would torture them. There are many, many thousands of accounts of where they would actually take hot pinchers or hot tongs or hot knives and slice open their flesh on their arms and their legs, and they would pack it with salt, and then they would wrap it with bandages, put them in a prison in stocks to where they couldn't attend to their wounds, and they would leave them there for several days. Then they would bring them back out after being miserable. They would feed them moldy bread maybe a little bit of water, just enough to keep them alive. They would bring them out, and they would say, now will you recant your heretic religion? And they would come out after sitting there and rotting for those days with salt packed into their wounds, in a completely miserable state, they would bring them back out, and for the life of me, I can't understand this, they would be even more resolute to hold on to the Christ that they have. What in the world is this? I I can't understand it. I have a hard time even understanding that. Well, if you give me a little cat scratch, oh, no, please, please, no, back off. Well, I'll say what you want me to say. These people had something that we don't have. They had something that I feel like I lack what is it? How did they get it? They would, be, they would come out of these prisons even more resolute. Sometimes they would tell them to confess on and believe in the Roman gods. They would say, not a chance. Not a chance. And I just have a hard time understanding it. I do. The, the, the only thing I can figure is they had Actual biblical Christianity. They had the real thing. The the salvation that this tells us about. Not the salvation that modern preachers and modern pastors tells us. Get saved and God makes everything better and your life will be completely perfect. That's the new stuff. The, The Bible doesn't say that. It does not say that. That's not what salvation is. They were saved. They were what's called born again they were what's called regenerated they were what's called the old died and something new resurrected inside of them they were buried with Christ baptized unto his death and resurrected with Christ and walked around a new creation a new creature that's what they had and this scripture said it they believed it they held on to it end of story oh well, they they had the same christianity I believe, that the Apostle Paul had. You know, I I did mention this maybe even last week that the Apostle Paul, if you follow his little journey, especially through the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul would travel to all these different towns and villages and all over, and he was saved, and he he would actually go to the synagogues, which is where the Jews would be, and he would preach Christ to them using the Old Testament. Actually, that's all they had back then was the Old Testament. And he would show them Christ out of the Old Testament. Many Jews believed, many of them, many of the Jews believed in Thessalonica, excuse me, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, Corinth, Ephesus. He would travel to all these places and preach, go into the synagogues, and he would reason with them, and he would argue with them and say, no, Christ, Christ resurrected and it, Christ crucified and he would show them out of the Old Testament many Jews believed but it also ticked off a lot of, of the traditional Orthodox Jews so Paul made a lot of enemies as he traveled to all these villages and towns preaching Jesus that, that many of them got angry they would even conspire to kill Paul they, they wanted him dead but Paul remember I told you Paul had the old time religion he kept right on going matter of fact many of the jews would actually they would get a band of jews together they would follow paul and they would stir up other jews when paul would go to preach in another city they'd show up and they would stir up the jews against paul paul kept right on going because paul had the old time religion well so so Okay, so now you got just a little bit of background on Paul. I want you to listen to what the Apostle Paul said. Because when you listen to what he says, you'll see the religion that he had. You'll see the faith that he had. Now, Apostle Paul is in Ephesus. And he is getting ready to depart from them. He's going to leave them. Okay, now remember, Jews want to kill Paul. They want Jesus Christ had freshly been crucified a few years earlier. Paul's traveling around preaching this Christ. Jews are the ones that actually killed Christ. And now here's Paul preaching Christ. They're wanting to terminate Paul. So he's in Ephesus. He's going to leave. And he says this in Acts chapter 20, verse 22. Paul says, And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit into Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. Do, do you realize what Jerusalem is? Do you realize that's the headquarters of the Jews? That is the headquarters. That, that's... But that's the, the queen bee lives in there of all the Jews. The, the, it's like, Paul, are you crazy? What is wrong with you? you you've, they've already made many attempts at your life, to take your life, and now you're saying of your own free will, you're going to go back to Jerusalem, the main headquarters. They just killed Jesus. Th- that same city did. That's where Christ was crucified. Now you, who's going around preaching Christ to everyone, you're going to go back to Jerusalem. And Paul says, yep. I'm going to go, and I don't know what's going to befall me there. It's almost like, Paul, are you crazy? Paul had the old-time religion. Didn't matter what happened to him. He had a mission to do, and he was going to complete it at all costs. Listen to what Paul says, his response in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, just a few verses down. Paul says this, but none of these things move me. Paul, they're going to come and get you. They're going to kill you. They're going to arrest you. None of these things move me, Paul says. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of grace of God. And now behold, I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Paul's not stupid. He knows something's going to happen to him. He knows. He's saying, I don't know what's going to happen to me there. I I know something's going to happen, something probably not good. But the Apostle Paul says, that don't matter to me. I don't even count my own life dear unto myself. None of these things move me. None of these things have swayed my decision. None of these things will get me to change my course. The Lord wants me to go there and preach the gospel of grace, and I'm going to go there and preach the gospel of grace. The Apostle Paul even takes it a step further and says, I'm going to finish my course With joy. Wait a minute. You mean you're going to say they're going to arrest you? They're going to do something to you? You, They're going to beat you? They're going to flog you and whip you, humiliate you, strip you, do whatever. And you're going to do it with joy? The Apostle Paul says, yep. Church, I, I read these things and I say, what is that? What is that? What does the Apostle Paul have? Apostle Paul believed in Jesus Christ so much that he willingly walked right back into danger. That's the the precious value of the gospel. Paul realized it. He realized the value of the gospel that had been entrusted to him. It was the most valuable thing in the world to him. Didn't matter if it costed him his life. Didn't matter. He had to tell others. He had to show the Jews. He had to show the Gentiles. He had to preach to them the gospel, the grace of God. In other words, the kingdom of God was worth so much more to the apostle Paul than his very own blood. Whatever would befall him, Paul looked upon it with joy. He knew it wasn't going to be good. They hated him there. They had just killed Jesus. Now he's going back to preach Christ to them. He, he knew. Scripture even tells us he knew. He says it. You guys won't see my face anymore. What, I don't know what's going to befall me there, but you're not going to see me anymore. You, you know what Paul goes on to do? We won't read it all, read it all, but if you... If you Finish reading that chapter as the Apostle Paul does. You know what he does? He, he's speaking to those that he loves at Ephesus, the church of Ephesus. He charges them, protect the church. Protect the church. Protect it. Keep it. Defend it. Defend the faith. Defend the gospel at all costs, at all expense as he's leaving. And then they all weep and cry and hug and they know we'll never see you again, Paul. You're marching right back into Jerusalem. We'll never see you again. Well, Paul departs and you can read the rest of the New Testament for yourself, but to make a long story short, Paul is pretty quickly apprehended and arrested and tried and more or less sooner or later he is beheaded. They took his head from his body. But not before God used him in many, many, many other ways. You know, I think Paul—he wasn't a stupid man. He he wrote most of the New Testament. He knew something good wasn't going to happen, but what he had was more valuable. Was more valuable. Brothers and sisters, these these people—Paul, all the 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 early church martyrs—they have something that we don't have we lack it they had such a solid belief in christ that i question if we have the same belief today it it makes me have some serious questions within myself do i have that what if they come to me and say you denounce christ or your home is forfeit your bank accounts your retirement's all forfeit you're going to jail what will i say then what will i say then will i have the courage to stand like all they did like all of them did I want what they had. I want it. I just asked myself, how did they obtain it? They had such a solid belief in Christ. See, here's the, the tricky part to it all. We have a little something called religious liberty in this nation. What that means, more or less, is we are free to practice our religion however we see, as long as it doesn't violate other people's rights. I'm very thankful for religious liberty. I truly am very thankful that we don't have a like other countries and nations have a state mandated religion which means they tell you what to believe. They tell you how to practice it. They tell you how to worship when where how they tell you all that. It's mandated to you. We are still so far free in this country with religious liberty. Now I know that our Religious liberties are being attacked. I know that. It's always going to be attacked. I know that. But we're still here for now, aren't we? We still freely came this morning of our own accord to practice our faith and our religion. So, So if you think about it, I know it's being attacked, but we still actually have a rather large degree of religious liberty as compared to other nations and other kingdoms even in times past. We have lots of religious liberty. And I'm very thankful for that. Very, very thankful for that. I'm thankful that if, if I say I want to go to church today, they don't come and take my house or, or take my wife and put her in jail or, or torture me. I'm thankful that we don't have that. I'm thankful that, we don't, that, that I don't get put in jail because we carry a Bible around. You know, Other nations, you're going to jail if you carry a Bible around. If you distribute them, you may be put to death. We don't have that here. Thank you, Lord. But in that freedom, there's a danger. There's a grave danger. In prosperity, there's danger. There's a a, a large danger. In, In wealth, in riches, there's danger. In good times of peace and prosperity, there is danger. All of those things, the freedom, the prosperity, the wealth that we have in this nation, does not produce courageous men and women. It does not produce courage. You know what the danger in all that stuff is? It's the danger of complacency. We become satisfied. We're rich. We're wealthy. We got cars. We got houses. We've got bank accounts. We've got food. We've got all that stuff. We've been enjoying it for well over 200 years now, and it produces a satisfaction. It produces in us a complete unawareness of the deficiencies that we have. We are even unaware if we're courageous or not. I don't know. I think I am. Maybe I am. That's what that stuff produces in us if you don't stay sharp and vigilant. How many times does the Bible tell you to be sober? Be sober-minded. That's what it means. If you're in a time of peace and freedom and prosperity, you better stay sharp. You better stay in your word. Stay on your knees. Because if you start to enjoy all the wealth and the riches, you're in trouble. You're going to become complacent. God warns us about this. If you've been involved at all in the, the Revelation Bible study, at the beginning of that, there's letters written to the churches. Okay? One of the letters written to the churches says this in Revelation two four it says, "Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee." This is the Lord Jesus speaking to His churches. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Do you know how many of us Americans, even even saved people, even people bearing the name of Christ, have left our first love? It, it was used to be Christ; it used to be godliness, but now we chased after wealth and riches vehicles all this stuff we chased after gold and money and pleasure and recreation we've left our first love the Lord Jesus goes on to warn the church this also in Revelation chapter 3 verse 15 he says I know your works that you're neither cold nor hot I work that you were cold or hot so that because you're lukewarm and neither cold or hot I will spew you out of my mouth he says Listen to verse 17, says, Because you say, I am rich, I am increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. This, the, the Bible is saying you can become in a state where you don't even know that you are wretched, and blind, and naked, and miserable, and poor. Wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, and don't even know it as i read the fox's book of martyrs as i read about the apostle paul i read about the disciples i read about all these martyrs for christ am i wretched and miserable blind naked and don't even know it is that is that our state is that the state of the church today is that our condition and we don't even know it You know, I, I pray that you're receiving this this morning, but I, I think we've become exactly the same thing that God warns us about in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Let me explain that. If you think of Deuteronomy, it's a rehearsal of the law, and they look back at everything that God has done, and God took, the, they were slaves, the, the children of God, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. After 430 years, God miraculously removes them from Egypt. Remember all the ten wonders of God, the the flies, the frogs, and so on and so forth. All those wonders they saw, these people saw the wonders of God. They were led through the wilderness by the cloud and the pillar of fire. They saw the Red Sea part and they crossed through on dry land and it came in on Pharaoh. They saw all this stuff. God was just getting ready to take them into the promised land of Canaan. Remember, it was a land flowing with milk and honey, riches, and a good land, very fertile land. God's getting ready to take them into that land. They're not quite in there yet, but God gives a warning because God knows human nature. He knows what happens to us once we get into that good land flowing with milk and honey. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11 says this, Beware! Now that automatically is a warning to us, a caution to us. It says, Beware that thou forget not the Lord in not com- keeping His commandments in His judgments in His statutes which I command thee this day. Lest when thou hast eaten and are full and hast built goodly houses and dwell in them and when your herds and your flocks are multiplied and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied then your heart be lifted up and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. New hope. I fear that's become us. We've we've eaten and we're full. We've all got goodly houses, don't we? We have silver and we have gold. Now I know, I know that there are. A lot more people that have a lot more money than you and I do. There are millionaires and billionaires, and, and we may not be that. But if you look at the world as a whole, you are rich. You are rich. You are a wealthy person. Did you drive here in your own car this morning? You're rich. Will you drive home and get yourself something to eat after church? You're rich. Do you have some spare change in your pocket? Do you have a few dollar bills in your wallet? Do you have a retirement account, a bank account? You're rich. You are rich. We have good houses. We eat and we're full. Everything that we have is multiplied and it's been that way for well over 200 years in this nation. Our heart has been lifted up. It's even got to the point where our economy shut down. Remember the big shutdown that we had over a year ago or whatever? What happened in the shutdown? The government sent us thousands of dollars. And it has produced... A crop of Christians with weak, flimsy, shallow faith. Listen, we have forgotten God. We have forgotten our past. Why do you think I've been preaching so much history here lately? Have you noticed that? We've been talking a lot about church history lately. It's because we forgot it. We've forgotten the price that Christ paid for us, the value of His blood on the cross we've forgotten how valuable that is we've forgotten the price that was paid for us to have the sacred scriptures does it make sense to you now why we talked about how we got the king james bible there a couple months ago or whenever that was it's because we've forgotten it you know i think that's why when i read the the fox's book of martyrs i'm just astonished it's because we we forget all those things Brothers and sisters, this book is a trail of blood all the way to get to us. That everyone who believed in the real truth of the scriptures, they shed their blood. And, and here we are in a land that's prosperous and free, and we, we've kind of forgot it all. We forgot the path that's led up until here. They gave up everything. All those martyrs, they gave up everything for the cause of Christ. Their fortunes meant nothing. You heard the account that I read. They were going to quarter a man. It's a terrible way. It means they were going to chop them all up and spread them all over. He smiles. What is that? He smiles and says the loss of a sepulcher, meaning a grave, meaning he's not going to be buried in a grave. He said it's but a trifling account, a trifling affair, meaning no big dare, no big deal. Their fortunes meant nothing to them compared to the eternal treasures of Of the eternal gospel of Christ. Their faith was real. Their faith had had substance to it. They treasured the Bible above all else. Listen to this. If I can read you another quick account. A man named Christopher Chober. Says this. No sooner had this gentleman stepped upon the scaffold. They were getting ready to kill him. No sooner had this gentleman stepped upon the scaffold. they, They would actually gather like the villages would come out. You know, and, they, and they would actually incentivize self-policing. So if your neighbor thought you were a, a Christian, your neighbor would get rewarded if they turned you in. That's how they did it. That's how all these people got caught and turned in. And then they would call the whole village out, and they would perform these executions. The whole village would come out and, walk, and watch, and they would humiliate you and so on and so forth, and, and they would try to get you to recant your religion, your faith. No sooner had this gentleman stepped upon the scaffold. Then he said, I come in the name of God to die for his glory. I have fought the good fight and finished my course. So, executioner, do your office. On this he instantly received the crown of martyrdom. Whoever that dude was, what an awesome man of God. What an example. I love that. I love reading. Not that he was killed, but I love seeing the the strength in his faith. The resolve that he had unyielding, uncompromising. Matter of fact, some of these people don't even seem like they're afraid. Now some of you, I'll bring this to a close soon. Some of you New Hope folks that have been around for a while, I'm sure that you have heard Pastor Joe many a times bring up one of his favorite scriptures. I wouldn't be surprised in chatting with him if he doesn't preach on it some next week or so. But this is one of Pastor Joe's favorite scriptures. It's in Jeremiah 6.16. I know many of you have heard this before, but it says, Thus saith the Lord, stand ye in the ways, and see, and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk therein. The the Bible is telling us here, it it is describing some type of old path. It, It is trying to tell us there's an old way. There's an old route. In Christianity, there exists an old path. There exists an old route. The path that the prophets of old followed. It is the path that the church fathers followed. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they followed the old paths. Isaiah, Ezekiel, all the prophets, Jeremiah, they followed the old paths. It's the path that Jesus followed, the old path. The old paths are the paths that the disciples and the apostles followed. Many of the early church bishops followed the old paths. All of the martyrs followed the old paths. The reformers followed the old paths. The question is, and the question remains, will we follow the old paths? You all know, think this scripture is worded perfectly, because it actually says to stand in the way and ask for the old paths you know that leads me to believe that if you have to ask for the old paths you don't even know where they're at as i read the book of martyrs that's exactly how i feel i see this old path i see it in their lives i see their resolve i see their fortitude and i'm i'm left in my prayers i'm saying lord where in the world is this old path where is it at? I don't even know where it is anymore. It is so overgrown that I can't even find it. I don't even know where to begin. Where do I? Be, where's the beginning of the old paths? We have to ask for them. We can't even find them if God doesn't show us where they are. I don't even know where to begin. They're so overgrown. They're traveled so little that they're hard to follow. My, my family and I, we like to hike. And we like to be outdoors and outside and enjoy and see God's creation. At least what's left of it that man hasn't destroyed. We, we like to hike and soon, actually in a few weeks, we're going to go do some hiking. It's, it's no problem to hike if it's a popular trail. No problem at all. Yeah, you know, Lots of people follow this trail. It's well worn. You can tell exactly where it goes. No need for a map. Just start here and keep on going. You end up at the end. It's well, well traveled. But if you hike a path, you ever hike a path that's rarely hiked, that's, that no one hardly knows about? It's a little more difficult. You have to stop a lot more and get the map out and say, well, I think once we cross this creek, then we make a right up this way. Because when a path is less traveled, it begins going back to the wilderness and you you can't readily see it. It's not easy to find. You have to consult the map. You have to consult the book to stay on that path. It becomes narrower and narrower and narrower and less wide, less traversed. It's much easier to get lost. There's even times we've been hiking on a path that is not traveled very much and, and You have to proceed sometime in faith. You almost come up to a spot and it's just all grass. And you're like, let's just keep going for a little bit and see if it picks back up. The old paths. If the band could make their way back. Brothers and sisters, through the dark ages, tens of thousands of Christians were murdered for their faith in Christ. Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands were killed and murdered. You know, there was even accounts that they came and killed entire villages of people, slaughtered entire villages of people that were saved and born again, and wonderful people, industrious it called them, very kind, pious people, humble people. They would help each other, and they came and slaughtered entire villages. The whole entire village refused to renounce Jesus Christ. They had a faith that was solid. They had a faith that was unwavering. They had a faith that was unyielding no matter what the expense. I want what they had because what they had was real. I want to find the old paths. God, where are the old paths? Where's the beginning to the old path? Lord, show us the old paths. We'll finish with this final scripture. In Revelation 18, God is, Jesus is speaking to his churches when he was warning them, when he's saying, hey, you left your first love. Hey, you're blind and naked and you can't even see and you don't even know it. Listen to what he says in Revelation chapter 3.18. Jesus says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou may be rich, and white raiment that thou may be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. The Lord is saying, I have gold, real gold for you. This gold is tried in the fire. It's not like Earthly gold. He's saying, I counsel you to buy what I have. He's saying, I have clothing for you. Real clothing that will hide your nakedness. It will hide your shame and it's pure white and clean and washed in the blood of the Lamb. He's saying, I have this special eye salve that I can put on your eyes that will help you to see the truth. It will help you to see the old paths. He's saying, I counsel you. He's telling this to His church. Who's the church? It's us in here this morning. Many other churches meeting around the world and the nation this morning. We are the church and Jesus Jesus is saying to us, I counsel you, come to me and get these things from me. I have them. I will give them to you if you ask for them. Let's stand this morning, church. As the band plays, you know that these altars are always open. And I pray you come and seek the old paths.